0: Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com, so please subscribe. We speak today to Stephen Rodofsky, who runs a small family office here in London. He's a lawyer by training and having originally started with Mark Rich. Back in the day, we discussed some of his regrets, some of the opportunities that he has seen, and also we look at The way that the investment market could be stacked against retail investors and everything that that could entail. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Stephen. How are you, sir? Very good morning to you. Well, thank you for coming on the show. You know, we've known each other for a few years through a few mutual contacts, mutual friends, Um, and the reason I've kind of asked uh, to you know talk to talk to you is you. Run a small family office like us. You've been in the industry. um, You've been around the block, as they say. And we're going to talk today about helping retail investors, family office, and high net worth around some like talk about investment strategies that people may employ, red flags to look out for, things we've learned along the way. Hopefully, some of that useful to some people. So, why don't we kick off and maybe give people a little bit of background about you? You know, you know where where have you worked. What are your life experiences to date?
1: Okay, so just uh, briefly, I'm originally from New York, and I was a lawyer in New York City for a period. And then I joined Mark Rich in 1988, um, which ultimately became Glencore. Um, I was there for a period of years in uh, Zug in Switzerland. Um, And then I moved over to the UK, where I took on the post of um, the managing director of Trans Canada Pipeline Europe. I was doing oil and gas out of London for TransCanada. From there, I joined uh, Credit Agricole, uh, the investment bank. Um, and then my last proper job uh, in, in the corporate world was with Alpha Group of Russia. Um, so the arc of my career was working in physical materials. Um, so when I say physical materials, base metals, steel making more materials, oil and gas, but really focused on providing um, a financial product in order to capture physical material that is the, that was the raise on debt of what i did throughout my career
0: fantastic fantastic i, th- I think the, my ears pricked up there with the uh, mark rich component those that was back back in the days um a few books written about that yes pro- pro- probably a few uh probably a few movie, movie scripts as well i i imagine so what was it like back back then i mean It seems a little bit more Wild West, wasn't it?
1: I'm not sure it was Wild West, but it was a kind of a family type atmosphere where we all um, had access to Mr. Rich and Mr. Green. Mm. Um, It was uh, cohesive. Um, We all knew each other, not just in Zug, but in the satellite offices. And um, there was the information was the key thing, the differentiator. It wasn't like today where Information flows are, are very efficient. Um, there was an inefficiency of uh, data and, and market information, and you would you would trade or you would arb you would cash the arb between that what the market knew and what you knew. So the the issue of a balance sheet, like, which is what it is today, it's a basically a carry on the difference between the cost of capital. I think that's the way trading companies make money and the way big corporates make money is they borrow. Very cheaply, and they lend very expensively, and of, co- of course you make money on the various trades. But the, that was—that's a less important component. Back then, it was all about information, and knowing that X, Y, and Z was happening in Caracas or Buenos Aires or Singapore, and you know, knowing what freight rates were, knowing what the cost of the underlying commodity was, knowing what the premium was, you could you could make a lot of money.
0: Yeah, well, and, and people certainly made a lot of money for sure. I mean, it, it, you know, they were, they were, that's the kind of, you've described it as very, the very functional, robust nature of how you had to go about building a network to be able to stay ahead of the competition there. But I think all people think about there is the sort of political nature of how that all ended up. I mean, what was your take on it? Well,
1: I think that um, you're talking about the indictment of Mark Rich. Yeah, that, kind of, that. yeah, yeah. I, I, that, I think. Was that fair? Is,
0: was, that, was that a fair thing? Or was that politics?
1: Well, I think that, um, you know, it was Rudolf Giuliani, who, of course, is back on the news in a different way, a different guise. He, at the time, was the uh, he was the attorney general for the Southern District of New York, and which was which is one of the, you know, let's say, more um, high-profile districts in the US. Um, And he brought charges against uh, Mark Ridge, which I think are arguably unfair, Mm. So, um, and to further his own political career. Now, um, I'm not saying of the wrongs or rights, and this happened, of course, back in the early to mid-80s, so a long time ago. But I I do think that, um, yeah, I do think that a lot of this had to do with Rudy Giuliani, and uh, and trying to get at Mark Rich, and I think that Mark Rich probably didn't do himself any favors by um, participating in the importation of Iranian crude um, in contravention of, of the various um, statutes put forward in the late '70s, early '80s against Iran.
0: Right, and how times have not changed is, is my immediate thought. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we still we still <laughs> got the same same players, uh, same same conflicts. Same countries uh, having the same fight—it's—it's it's, uh, almost, yeah, yeah. almost amusing. Almost um, amusing. Okay, so you, and then you you moved you moved on from there, and just maybe just expand and because I'm trying to understand you know what you've learned along the way, and then how you use that today. So if we don't mind, just sort of sticking with the kind of yeah, path I mean, there. there I went to I went to uh, TransCanada pipeline. I wanted to, you
1: know. It, it, it was a career mistake to leave Arbroath or Glencore at the time, um, because it, of course it went on to do so well. Um, but you know, I wanted to—I didn't want to live in ZUG anymore—and and so I just—I—I uh, I sit in a stupid way. I—I I left. Um, you know, still we still did quite well from it in that period. The kind of success that my the guys who I left behind um, was quite quite extraordinary. How mm-hmm. successful that, that company became. But um, anyway, coming back, so I moved to to London and it was really in those days, um, you know, the the whole notion of asset-backed finance and commodities was still a very new thing. Mm. They called it structured commodity finance, project finance. They're all different words or terminologies that that came into use at that time Mm. and which are very, very, of course, they're very established and very refined. But back then they were quite, it was quite... um, like basic, and a lot of that was applied to things which were very incoherent, like the Russian legal system, um, you know, different trades in in Africa and South America. And so, um, what was very interesting about the time was where, of course, English law and New York law are quite established and 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 quite coherent. The the, the you know the legal structure, for example, of the, the Soviet Union collapsed. The current, you know, the, the, the ruble, the convertible ruble collapsed. And how, how do you capture these commodity flows, which which were being sold off at, you know, really for, for nothing? Um, and, and how do you pre finance these companies, which actually don't have, there's no title, there was no title in the Soviet Union, Every, all the assets were socially owned. So the challenges of the time were the things that we don't think about today mm. um, is basically. You know, how do you form a contract with a company that doesn't exist? Yeah, <laughs> and that, and that, that was very interesting. And so I think uh, in terms of the arc of, of where this is whole, this whole uh, thing has come in the early noughties, you know, some of this started being firmed up as the oligarchs started taking control. They, they you know, the, the legal, the Russian legal system actually um, came into force as such. And there was all of a sudden there was the big oil and gas companies. There was, for example, Norilsk Nickel. There was, you know, the the various um, there's Eurasia. There was all these various entities, which then took control of the of the assets. And that's where, of course, the oligarchs made the killing.
0: Well, well, absolutely, absolutely. So, and then that that whole time that you spent, you know, working with Russian companies with Russian individuals. Um, I mean, around that sort of time, we, we 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 were looking at Russia, but it was it was an area where we struggled to get debt into companies because mm-hmm. the West was concerned with the way these companies were being run. These oligarchs were a bit more let's let's call it entrepreneurial in the right. way that they managed people and money, and um, the way that that flowed. And I think obviously right. we see a little bit more. Um, Global control over the way that the, you know deals are done in, in Russia at the moment. But what what were the you know for you what were the sort of you know big learnings in terms of working in an environment like that? Because we are going to come on to that and talk about the way that you look at companies for, for you know if you're thinking putting investments into. Because you know I've done a lot in Africa, which is maybe some of the same issues that Russia did you know twenty year twenty fifteen twenty years ago. So what were your key learnings?
1: yeah i would say that because this this period was so dynamic that there were effectively different phases where where you had to adjust to those phases so the first phase was still the soviet union uh, mm-hmm. and that was very different there you had the Nome of Kotora, which was the sort of the communist elite everything run through moscow centralized and there was a sort of a, there was a certain way a certain modus operandi of dealing with the soviet union. Uh, union. And there, there was the the risks were were quite certain. You understood, you know, basically you took uh, this kind of risk and you get that kind of return. It was actually during that period, it was actually fairly predictable. Um, Then we went into this Yeltsin period. um, And and that was more unpredictable, but that's where the real opportunities were. Mm. And that's when, that's when, you know, the Western trading companies really made a killing. Um, because all of a sudden there was no convertible ruble. You, you know, steel making more materials were just, you know, there was no way to get them to the former Eastern bloc like Poland or Czechoslovakia or Romania, big importers of, you know, coal and coke and iron ore and of course chrome and all those materials. And basically we stepped into that breach and you know, paid for the rail, paid for the electricity, um, you know, and so there was that opportunity, which, you know, Mark Rich was a real risk taker. And Mm. we stepped into that breach and we facilitated those trades. So, you know, that was a, a, that was a particular time in history. Um, After that, you had this, this, what I call the consolidation period where uh, the various oligarchs, um, you know, the Berezovskys, the Friedmans, uh, you know, there's, there's, we we know all the various names. Um, They effectively, the assets um there was some battles within the former soviet union and there was a consolidation and certain players you know captured billions billions and billions um and of course the, the whole bill browder story parallel to that is a very interesting one and ultimately to where we are today i mean within that of course there was the the crisis in the late 90s and then you know um, what we see today effectively is a is a state where you have these oligarchs and and President Putin, and so there there is also um, some predictability. But I would argue that um, it's 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 a very difficult situation for Western investors to to really understand that black box of risk.
0: Why do you, why do you say that? I mean, what's your what's your take on Putin? Obviously Putin's, you know, been in control in one shape or form for quite a while now and you know, he's mm-hmm. he's very I think he's very clear with, you know, how he will or will not do business. And the oligarchs are will have seem to have fallen back into line or you know, if they haven't, you know, then that's been problematic. You know, I, I, I listen to a lot, a lot of um, Putin's talks. He does a lot of, sort of public talking and Q&A. And he seems like a very intelligent guy. But, you know, at the same time, he, he's not towing the Western party line. Um, is that, do, I mean, do you, do, you, do you think that Western companies are looking to get into Russia now? Do you think they, you know, can they raise the money to be able to do anything in Russia, even if, even if they could get Putin on side?
1: Yeah, I think you have to differentiate different things. Um, Let's break this down a little bit. Um, You know, you have the big gold companies um, and they, um, you know, the fact is, is that Western companies certainly are very interested to provide debt. So in the form of, you know, uh, it could be bonds, corporate bonds, or it could be some kind of pre-finance, but essentially uh, the fact is, is that. you know the, the the very big companies, or Norals Nickel, or you know the, the very big pr- prominent companies. The the banks, certainly the Western European banks, will will, will structure debt uh, for them. And there is a predictable nature of offtake. take. Um, so I think there that's that's one group of companies. Um, there are also listed companies, you know, on the Moscow Stock Exchange, which have some kind of um you know- pre- predictable nature regional management teams, and a a necessity or or to keep good relations with western banks and, and western companies so i I would say that's one group, and then you have maybe much smaller companies
0: mm-hmm.
1: where where there's that real problem because they need equity um and they need debt, and so the the architecture of the the Russian legal system is 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 good, you know. It says all the right things, but the underlying nature of the judiciary is it's it's completely and utterly utterly corrupt. And so, you know, the, the thing is, you need to collaborate with a Russian partner in order to build a a business because, you know, as mining, the timelines are quite extended, and you know, the you know the the, the nature of a Russian company, and the fact is, is that from one day to the next, you could be you could be holding eighty percent of the company, holding two percent of the company, without uh, you know with with somebody paying off somebody, some judge in the middle of nowhere. Um, that that's a that's a real risk. And, so,
0: so, it's a it's a real risk in a lot of jurisdictions. You know, when we talk to people about you know jurisdictional risk, you know, yeah. do your diligence and so forth. You know, it's it's something that people very casually you know brush off. You know. Dealing in Africa, we've been in the same situation where we, you know, we, we thought we had a license, and then it suddenly gets revoked yep, because yep, someone knows someone, and it's, it was the same in the Middle East, and it's been the same in Asia. And you, if you don't have your local partner, powerful local partner, you've got a you've got a problem. And the, the the issue, and that's this is moving towards the conversation for you know retail investors, high net worths, high net worths and family offices is like the game right, can right. be stacked against you unless you identify what the attributes are that for you make it a reasonable investment. Either the risk portion is something that you have quantified, and you say I'm prepared to take that risk because it's it's. It's possible, but it's unlikely. Or it's possible, and but the returns are too high for me to ignore for some part of my investment portfolio. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, you know, and I think you know your experience in Russia. I, I, I've believe me, I've been I've been there and you know lost money there, and um, had to, had to walk away. And I, and again, coming, we'll come on to this in a second. It's like knowing when to walk away, even if you put money in, because you can walk away with some money or no money. Is is another. Part of this because I'm I'm constantly amazed by people because they've put money in they'll put more money in because they don't want to lose the first batch of money or they'll defend the you know indefensible um, so it, again it, it possibly something we'll we'll move on to but I'm I'm glad you, you touched upon this because just because something's in writing doesn't necessarily mean that you've got the protections that you think you yeah have. that's
1: right that's right is we we tend to sitting in. The United States, or Canada, or Europe, we tend to think that, or extrapolate to think because we're even we're dealing with DRC or Zambia or um, Brazil. You know, all these jurisdictions have their idiosyncratic natures, Mm. and I would argue that um, even given those idiosyncratic natures, they all have different risks. And, And by the way, those the way you quantify those risks are dynamic. You know, it's not like it's Every, every quarter, every month, it's the same. So, you, you have to keep moving with, you know, what, where, is that, where is that, what are the opportunities? And again, as you say, what is the return profile? Mm. You know, um, if I'm going to make a 3 to 5 or 10x, is it worth taking this quantifiable risk? I mean, for example, even in Canada, you know, I've seen a lot of companies take real serious uh, losses because of First Nations. Because once you get into a First Nation, you know, yeah, you have a lot of that in Western Canada, for example, with oil and gas deals in Saskatchewan and Alberta. I've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, a client of ours lost a huge amount of money on with the First Nation situation in Vancouver Island. So you know, there there is risk even in what we consider no-risk jurisdictions.
0: Absolutely, and but this comes back to. Doing your homework—it sounds like a cliche—but the amount of times that people put their money into a situation which they do not fully understand—it amazes me. Because how can you therefore quantify how much at risk your money is if you don't understand all the moving parts fully? And you know, for someone sitting in the UK investing in. In Africa, whatever you know, whichever whichever country, and I've worked in twenty five of them, you know, you've got to be able to understand the nuances of the the, the political environment, the tribal environment, the um, you know, f- financial environment that your asset sits. You know, what is the competition um, up to? Who are the local parties with vested interests? You know, how many different ways can people ruin your investment? And you know, I. I I'd like to see more homework done by more people, well, more would, of I the would, time. I,
1: yeah, I mean, I would, I would go further than what you just said in terms of homework. You know, there's different ways to invest in these companies. There's, you can buy the shares. Um, you can buy debt. Um, you can look at the project level. Mm-hmm. There may be opportunities to invest at the project level, not at the public company level. Um, where you can really get into maybe even providing debt at the project level with a senior secured position. Um, and there are different, I mean, obviously there are different uh, return profiles for each of those different things. But but I would argue at this stage, you know, where we are in the cycle, you know, I think that one can get equity type returns with debt. Um, and, and that's where that's where the smart money is today well you,
0: you you can if you know don't i think you're addressing perhaps the family office side more than obviously retail because obviously the, you know we we get we get access to uh the, the, those types of deals and yeah clearly to try if you're saying offering debt i i high you know high yielding debt in the you know whether be the in you know i think back in the day when we first met you know high high yield would have been sort of 14 15 16 of these days you're lucky to break uh, double digits but um, yeah you've, you've still got to assess or we would still have to assess the, the, the risk potential there depending on which country you're going into and we, we did a few things in India and a lot of things in Africa um, but we have we spent a lot of time trying to work out which bits we could control and which bits were just we just sitting back and you know we're a passenger uh, you know hoping that the ride kind of works out and sometimes it did sometimes it didn't. These days, for me,'m I'm, I'm very happy. You talked about t- five burgers and ten bagggers. Like these days I'm happy with uh, two or three quite frankly, but with some certainty to it.
1: Oh, um, uh, yeah, it, it, it really depends what is your appetite. Also, you, you not get not just jurisdiction, but you're also looking at the underlying commodity, asset permitting, first nation community issues. Mm. You, you get into issues of logistics depending on the commodity you get issues in metrological issues. I mean, there are a lot, yep. of, a lot of situations where the, things don't, the, the actual mind doesn't work metrologically. Um, you know, there's so
0: many different risk factors and you have to kind of dissect it. So, so what do you think? Just, just coming back, let's move away from family office for a bit, because I think we, you know, we've got the benefit of having people around us who can do the analysis and you know, can look, sure. look at the deals in a little bit more of a fulsome way with you know, professional background to them. Retail guys. Retail guys, right? Yeah, yeah. These guys, to me, and this is the reason why we do what we do, because I, I've seen, you know, all the ways which the business, that this business model is stacked against them, from promoters yeah. and brokers, and the, as you say, all of the, the risk factors within the companies themselves. There seems to be a kind of big movement towards ETFs, and yeah. you know, you know, investment in various shapes and colors of funds. Do you think? Right. And I saw I saw a piece the other day where someone said this is not an investment environment for retail at the moment. The the, the risks are too high yeah. with yeah. what's going on, yeah. Russia, China, um, right. U.S., etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, what would your advice be to? Not be careful with words. What, what would you say to uh, retail investors in today's environment? Specifically with mining, or well, well, let's let's talk about mining investment. Yeah, that's what we're talking about today. So, mining investment. Do you think that's a it's an environment where where people should be putting their money? Is it maybe it's maybe for the for some people it's about the fun. And the yeah, fun I, of investing. Really you're gonna make money, right? You're playing with
1: it. Yeah, I think it depends how much money you're playing with. And you know, look, it's very some of the public companies, the big you know multinational public companies like you know. Uh, Rio, Anglo, BHP, um, Valet, uh, even Glencore. But Glencore is special because there's, there's certain regulatory risks there with uh, with them being under investigation by the serious frauds office and the and the Department of Justice. I'm not sure I would put money in Glencore, mm-hmm. even though I used to work for them. But I think there's, 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 a, there's a lot of risk there. Um, and maybe that's priced in already. But I mean, if you look at a, a share like uh, Rio Tinto, which is I think about just over forty dollars, forty pounds today per share, and it's about what seven and a half, eight percent dividend. So you're getting, you know, you're getting massive liquidity. You're getting into a share at a, a good price historically, and you're getting, you know, you're getting a, absolute, massive liquidity. So that's a very compelling business case, I think, an investment case. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not comparing it vis a vis to the Apples and Alphabets and you know, the that that's a different world. That's another conversation. Now another that's conversation. another conversation, yeah. but I think, I think, uh, today, if you, if you're allocating money to, to resources, I think it's, I think the, you know, Rio Tinto or Anglo American or BHP it is a very compelling thing. Um, now going down the the food chain, you know, there, are, there are of course, medium sized companies and there's are smaller junior mining. Right. and as you're getting down that food chain, you, 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 you're giving up liquidity for hopefully uh, much bigger returns. Um, multiples, right? So, you know, Rio Tinto, you know, I think, you know, over a period of three to five years, you know, I don't know what the upside is. If you look at City Research or Goldman Sachs, um, they, their target prices, they think it's going to be £55. Pounds. Within a year, a year and a half, right? And then you have that eight percent carry, so it looks really good. But those guys are are wrong as much as they're right. So who the hell knows? Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's, that's that that that's true. You're on a small family office. You're based yes. You're based based in London. What are you, What are you guys looking at? What, what's What's your investment thesis? You don't have to give us specific bets, but you know, let's talk about the thesis. No, I, I'll give you my. I mean. So, so basically, my number
1: one criteria is the management team. Um, I have to love the management team. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to trust them. I have to feel them. Um, if the
0: management team is in any way compromised, I I don't uh, even consider the investment. What's that mean, Stephen? Like, so you're saying I need I need to know them. I need to love them. What you you know them over time. They've delivered before, you know. And and you know, what does not so good look like? How do you judge it?
1: Yeah, I mean. Okay, as a is a truism that as you go down the food chain, the the quality of the team deteriorates, right? So, mm. you know, the the guys you're meeting at at Glencore or BHP are are different caliber than the people in junior mining. But by definition, you know, the guys in junior mining are a little bit rough around the edges, and and they but you know they they come up with the goods. They go into the in, into Africa or, or South America, and they actually originate deal flow, which is you know, which is really something. So, but they have to also, you know, a lot of these guys, um, they have to be, I mean, obviously historical uh, deal flow, what they've done in the past, have they had success? Um, you know, how good are they at managing people and situations? Do they actually understand finance? A lot of the guys do not understand finance. So they, they they get into big trouble in terms of their cash flow models. You look at the cash flow models. They, they, you look and they say, well, this is just unrealistic, because they're they're looking towards some of them are publicly listed. They're looking towards their share price. I think um, you know they're looking at unrealistic timelines, and you you basically um, you want to have a management team that really are, um, you know, uh, under promising and over delivering rather than the inverse. And I I find that most of these, well, first of all, the vast majority of of listed um, mining equities are
0: are complete nonsense. They're lifestyle businesses. 70%, 70%, I think for me, 70%. I go higher. I I go higher. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You're a lawyer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I I think most of them are bullshit. Mm. Um, But to the extent that they're real. Okay, so that's one criteria. But but
0: right? just just on that point, too, and it's, it's quite interesting what you just said. You know, I'm saying seventy. You're saying a little, You're saying up higher. That says to me there's a lot of retail investors, family offices, and high net are deploying capital into companies yeah. which are just never going to make the money, right? The the trouble is working out which seventy percent, obviously. But to, yes. to me, the process we've been through in the last year in terms of sharing these uh, interviews with with um, the public is, to me, it's quite obvious to, after speaking to these guys. And that's why we spend a lot of time talking about a business model, a business plan. Then, you know, what is the strategy for delivering that business plan? You know, what are the what are the, the catalysts which will hopefully deliver value, value for shareholders? Because we make money by investing in shares that, that go up in price, right? So we spend a lot of time trying to understand what's going on in the minds of, of, of these guys. And I'm, you know, like I say, I think 70 percent of the time, you've got management teams who cannot articulate clearly what it is that they're setting out to do. I, at what point does this thing get monetized? Can't do that. Secondly, I agree with you. The amount of times that people don't have the financial acumen to manage this environment is. I'm talk, we're talking about the junior space, junior to mid 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 caps. Sort of start employing decent people at a point when they've got the cash. So they're, they're kind of restricted by the fact that they don't have the money to employ the right people. So you've got a team of geologists running the company, perhaps missing a whole bunch of skill sets, or you've got a bunch of promoters missing a whole bunch of skill sets. So for me, it's, there's some real obvious red flags from, from day one that you say, this team is not equipped to deliver success for shareholders, other than. I'm going to drill holes, and hopefully we hit we, we hit a few targets, right? So, I so that that's what it says to me that the 70 percent of money is being deployed in the wrong direction, and I think the job for people like you and me is to help people understand well what to look out for and perhaps what what um, to avoid. So, okay, good point. So, second point. So, so
1: you know, coming back to the, the way you deploy money. Right in the way you you analyze some of these shares, it's not just the the quality of the management team, but you're looking at the asset, and then you have to make a decision. Are, are you more, you know? There's the whole greenfield exploration space, and then there's what I call the sort of uh, you know the basically as you say the monetization or the monetization of, of projected future cash flow, mm-hmm. and um, that that's the easier model for for me is when. I'm looking at the underlying asset, the capability of the management team, in order to effectuate the, the monetization of that uh, cash flow. So, for example, if you have a you have a, a copper gold concentrate mine in Chile, um, you know, do they have the, the it, it, do they have everything from the permitting to the access to labor to water rights, and can they actually create that concentrate which they're going to sell to Trafigura or to Glencore? And and how the how does that impact the balance sheet, and then ultimately, you know, am I going to get my returns, um, and then I think within that context, you have to look at the the capital stack, and whether whether that capital stack actually works for you as the investor.
0: Mm. It, it's, it's, again, we've we, again we've spoken to a few people recently with regards to how the, how they've structured the company. You know, the, the corporate structure for us. I mean, it's, that's yeah. the, before we even get into the asset, we're looking, well, how's this company been put together? Because you say, you know, you've got promoters and brokers who structure things advantageously for them, and, you know, the usual, Correct. You know, put a bit of money, Correct. they'll get into a shell, Correct. they'll put in some money, they get friends and family, and then there's yeah. the first round, second round. You know, all, all of these things are, are set to make the people who have the idea a lot of money very, very quickly, and then there's a free ride. So sort I of think. But Coming in as a retail investor, there's a private placement, or it's a, you know, it's a it's an IPO situation. The amount of people that tell me that they have not read the prospectus fully when, 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 I've, when I've pushed them is incredible. It's I know it's a big document, but you're putting your money that you've been lucky enough to earn or be given or inherited or however you've got your big stack of money and you can't be bothered to read the prospectus. And I'll give you an example. There's a, a company recently which merged with another entity, but in the prospectus it said that the management team of Company A would be allowed to take X percentage, in this case somewhere you know, in the millions of dollars for a company which had ostensibly failed to deliver any shareholder value. It was down around a third of the, of the um, IPO price. but. And people started complaining about this. I'm like, well, it was in the document which you signed up for. If you're going to be upset, why would you sign it? And and I just, I find those situations incredible. You've got to know what you're walking into. And if you're not happy with certain potential outcomes, don't invest. It's real simple, right? Yeah,
1: I totally agree. Look, I've seen situations where, you know, some of the promoters are very good. I mean, I'm not going to name them here. Um, But they're they're incredibly clever at making themselves rich, uh, but they never make anybody else rich. Maybe some of the the very early people with them. And, you know, I I use the metaphor of a tin of sardines, you know, they have their cupboard full of mining projects in the cupboard, you know. So even though this is copper poultry thing died seven years ago, three they times strip out of yeah. the vehicle, they put it into the cupboard, they take it out, they put it into a new TSX or ASX vehicle, and then they shop it around. And, and they're really clever guys. Uh, and they've had a couple of, you know, some of them, you know, one or two out of you know, 20 deals works for them. And they've, you know, it works for the investor, but they, they win on every single, every single deal. So, it's, it's, it's a certain game. It's, it's particularly relevant in Toronto. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't happen in London, and Perth it does, but it's, 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 a, it's a game which is done there in, in an absolutely superb way.
0: Oh, It's, it's super, super for some, and I think that, you know, we've, we've talked about a couple of examples there and we could probably dive down into a lot of the variables, a lot of the moving parts and understanding how they are stacked against. The retail investor coming in at, at later later stages because you know it looks like it's shooting to the moon and the story's been talked about shooting to the moon I and mean, we've interviewed a couple of companies recently whose market caps are you know through the through the roof but the, fundamentally it's they are flawed operations someone's going to get left holding the baby at some point but in the meantime it, you know it kind of it kind of looks good. Um, but let, let, let's maybe save that for another day, because I wouldn't mind drilling down on, okay. on, 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 on some of those, but um, it, it just comes back to, um, you know, do, the do your homework conversation. The, the bit in all of this, which is um, very hard to answer, again, for, for retail investors, family office and high numbers, is how do they access, it's all well and good us saying, well, these are things to look for. How do they access information which allows them to understand those components? Some of which we've talked about today, and make decisions because obviously we here in the UK we've, we've, with Mifid too means there's, there's a restriction of the amount of information available to that audience. Um, you you know you'd have to pay, you have to pay for it. Um, where do you go and do your research? Do you, do you call the, the companies up themselves and ask questions? Do you get your information online? I mean, how, how do you access data to make those investment decisions?
1: Yeah, so I mean, it costs a lot of money to diligence any company, and so, therefore, me as you know, recently I may have in the past, but I totally don't do any kind of greenfield exploration deals, because I I just don't have enough understanding um, okay. of that, and even if I you know a lot of these uh, reports, these forty three one hundred ones or the or the chalk reports are. Are absolutely flawed, I mean um, I mean don 't get me started of you know the veracity of these reports i think I think a lot of them are you know well let 's not go too deeply into it, but i i don't i don't buy a lot of whats what I read in the reports
0: and essentially yes, we, we had Wardell Armstrong on the other day, and the he actually sent me um, a, a piece after the after we had our um, chat. Talking about exactly that topic, where you know, I think there was a, a review done by you know it was, it was in Canada and they spotted a a huge amount of flawed 43101s where you know various aspects of the data was just incorrect. I mean, fatally flawed. It wasn't just incorrect; it was fatally flawed. So you say the basic fundamental conclusion was was wrong. But, so, so what do you do then? Um.
1: Look, I think a lot of that comes back to skin in the game, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. I like management teams that actually put their own life savings into the deal. Harry pursuit for you, right? Yeah. So it's, look, I mean, moving back. So it really depends how much money you deploy and how much focus you're, in, you're on this. You know, if you're deploying, you know, $10,000 or $20,000 and you want to, to buy, take a punt on a, on a gold deal in British Columbia. I mean, there, there isn't much. I mean, you can't really afford, or it doesn't justify doing very much diligence beyond reading. I mean, you can read reports, you can read about the management team, you know. But it, you know, there's not much you can do because the actual cost of the diligence doesn't doesn't justify, yeah. you know, what you're what you're risking. Um, however, if you're investing five million dollars, that's a very different story. Um, so you know, a lot of the the mining companies—I'm uh, not talking about the major ones. I'm talking about you know the smaller ones. You know they have these various jorks. Could remember they're pulling these deals out of the cupboard, the sardine tins, and then they—they they have some kind of jork from 20 years ago, and then they get a competent person's report, blah blah blah. They do a bit more drilling. Um, I think a lot of this you just have to take with a grain of salt. Um, maybe prima facie, when you're looking at the deal, you you. You look at that and you say, okay, um, we'll trust the veracity to start the conversation. Mm. But when you're deploying serious amounts of money, you should, you should budget between one and $200,000 to do a proper diligence. Yeah. And what I mean by proper diligence, you have to physically go down there. You have to, you have to look at the corporate structure. You have to make sure that there's no skeletons mm. in the closet. Uh, you have to look at the metallurgy. You have to look at the logistics. You have to look at the permitting. You have to look at the First Nations or communities issues, and you basically you have to have a very disciplined uh, view and don't trust anybody. You come up with your own conclusions. It's not rocket science. It's really just you know just doing your homework, as you say.
0: Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a funny one actually. You know, you, you I always say to people invest in what you know. Don't don't try, and make it up as you go along. Um, so there is, it isn't rocket science, but at the same time, you need to understand enough about what you're about to put your money into. Um, so it will require a lot of work, but it's probably like, you know, grade five maths, right? I think I, I hear that phrase yeah. a lot. I
1: mean, you know, like I, I looked a couple of weeks ago at alluvial a diamond deal in Brazil, for example. Okay. Every,
0: you know, what do we need to know?
1: No, you know, it, look, it, it's just, it's really the, to me, it's the quality of the management team and it's the ability to execute. And do they have hurt money in the, in the deal? And if they don't, you know, then that, that takes you to a different level of diligence, because it's, it's a lot of it is transferred confidence, isn't it, in the, in the, in the management team?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, then different, there's a difference between hurt money and a CEO paying himself half a million, 800,000 bucks a year and putting some of that into buying shares. It looks good, but the guy's already way overpaid, so he can afford to do that. Versus as you say, no, I want some of your hard earned cash, uh, your life, you know, some of your life savings into this thing. That says to me, you believe in this, you're serious about this. Versus, actually, I'm an already overpaid CEO, board director who's putting some portion of it or being paid some portion of it in shares. That's those are two very, very different scenarios.
1: Of course, of course. And I, 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 these days, where we are in the cycle, I, I only invest in in deals where I see that there's skin in the game. There's you know, we, we can smell the money, meaning the cash is coming out, mm. and you know that actually, um, quite frankly, um, that money is going to come out within nine to twelve months. If I can't see that, then I, quite frankly, I just I walk away. I don't get involved.
0: Essentially, and you're you're talking about your own money being able to come out within that time. Right. Okay. As opposed to, again, the other trick the other trick here that is quite often deployed, which is, is this three to four-month hold period where you're coming into a deal, the insiders have got a hold period of four months and you know, four months in one day, that's getting dumped into the market. That's something well, that's we, that's we were caught game. out with.
1: I, I tend not to get involved, but I, again, I, I, the market's dynamic just because you know, in February the fourth, twenty twenty, I have a certain view. It doesn't mean in March or April I'm going to have the same view. Um, you know, the market the market moves. Um, I find the, that there are opportunities um, at the project level, mm. not at the public company level, and especially on the debt side. I think again, um, that's where I'm comfortable right today. Yeah, but it doesn't mean to say that. You know, I won't go back to exploration investing, or I won't go back to public company investing. Mm. But I, I, I see where we are today, and I see that's where the opportunity is.
0: Stephen, I think we better leave it there. I've taken up a lot of your time today, and I do appreciate some of those insights. Uh, hopefully some of the viewers do too. I'd love, love to get into a little bit more of it in gruesome detail with you because I think some real clues today as to the sorts of things that. Smart investors do and other investors don't. So uh, appreciate your time. Thank you again.
1: A pleasure to 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 be be one of your guests and I wish you all the luck.
0: Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, Cruxinvestor.com, and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn.